You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. For the ANA Champions of Growth Podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. For CMOs and marketers, employee relations is not exactly sexy particularly when compared to innovations in ad creative, new ways to creating business efficiencies via generative artificial intelligence, and demonstrating the value of marketing to the C-suite. But marketers ignore employee relations at their own peril, as the rank and file provide the glue to make sure all of a company's stakeholders are on the same page and work toward the same goals and objectives. Josh Ingram, founder and principal of marketing consultancy Most Wanted Company, specializes in fostering employee communications, says there are several steps marketers can take to create more unity throughout the company and establish an esprit de corps that everyone can rally around. He joins me now to discuss how to create a more authentic workplace, why it's crucial that employees feel that they can be themselves at work, and the benefits of both mentoring and reverse mentoring. Josh, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Great to be here. I appreciate it. You bet. Uh, Josh, CMOs and marketers face myriad challenges, of course, ranging from adopting new technologies to appealing to more diverse audiences to bolstering corporate reputation. Now, fostering employee communications is a thread that runs through all these disciplines. But do marketers tend to underestimate the value of fostering employee communications? Generally, employee communications and employee engagement, it's its not the sexiest, right? It's not something that a CMO is going to necessarily get brought in to do only. It's generally a second thought or an afterthought because customers always first. That's what's revenue generating. Employees are very close second. Employee engagement, employee communications, especially depending on the industry, especially how competitive the employee space is. We've seen the labor market swing back and forth over the last three years. You think about, for example, in a tech company, that's an incredibly competitive space for employees. And by the way, those folks make a ton of money that they hire. Who comes first to mind often as having the best employer brand or being one of the best places to work. Often it's tech companies that are the first in our minds, Google, Slack, Salesforce. They're top of mind because they've made investing in that perception as being an employee focused organization. That's a part of their brand and they've invested in that perception over the long term. It's companies like that that have sort of redefined the entire space. They've set expectations for what it means to communicate and engage with employees. Do companies rely too much on technology and not enough on the human connection to communicate with their employees? It's been proven that folks in a workplace environment, they want human connections. It's always important to develop relationships with your peers. The pandemic completely changed this environment. People are starving for human touch and connection even more. The the pandemic put pressures on companies to demonstrate their commitments to employees and society even more tangibly because we were all separated. But now you're seeing a bit of a backlash against those who have made bold claims they can't live up to and those who have been kind of first to try to force people to come back into the office. There's a bit of a limit on how important that human connection really is for folks when it means that they have to change their behavior or their routines that has been a paradigm shift where the bar is really high for companies to demonstrate the value of being together and being in person. It can't just be something that you force people to do or that you say people have to do. People want to know what's in it for them. It just flips the paradigm, flips it around. 
depending upon the company and the culture, of course, human connection is all well and good. But if it means I have to come into the office another day of the week when I've been conditioned to working from home two or three days in the week, human connection only goes so far. Think about it. If someone tells you, I mean, I'm a New Yorker, right? New Yorkers don't like to be told what to do. Getting somebody in New York to change their behavior, change what they do, that's like the hardest thing in the world. If someone tells you to do something, there's immediately a reaction to, you know, want to make your own decision. That's an American thing, that there's an individual choice and an individual empowerment thing that is a value and certainly in our country. But if you love your teammates, and everyone's united around doing the best job that they can. People believe in the purpose of the company that they're a part of. That's something that you voluntarily believe in and you voluntarily want to live up to. That's a much more powerful force to get people to do things that they don't want to do or, or change their routines. When it comes down to a core belief, when people feel what they're doing defines who they are or is aligned with who they are, with their identity, that is something people fiercely defend and they'll fiercely go out and rally behind. That is why it's so important to build that faith with employees. It has to be a voluntary participation or they need to feel like it is. Help me out here. Take me through it. What are some of the most effective ways of strengthening relationships between upper management and the rank and file? How do marketers play a facilitating role? The concept of, of feedback is really important. It's something that people want in the workplace, but they also want the ability to have two-way feedback. So any forum to have two-way feedback, whether that is anonymous or not, but facilitating ways for employees to give feedback and then see it played back, by the way. Right. It's not just about taking it in and saying, OK, thank you very much. And we're going to take your notes and put it away in a filing cabinet uh, or a Google Drive. It's about playing back and being very overt about what we heard from you. And here's what we're doing about it. That communication of here's what we're doing about it. Here's how it fits into what our brand stands for is something that needs to be overt and it needs to be repeated. I talked about community strategy. That's a buzzword on the consumer side and certainly in tech. It's just as relevant here in many senses. Building community on the micro level and the macro level between peers, that's a proven driver of employee engagement is the relationship between peers, the friendships, the community that you feel a part of. That makes being an employee at a company sticky. Creating leadership opportunities in a low stakes environment is really important. Creating avenues that are completely owned by employees that provide access to leadership, but the ability to work alongside them as peers, that peer mm -hmm. part of the equation mm -hmm. breaks down walls. Whether you get selected to join a meeting that you wouldn't be a part of, no matter what your rank is or seniority level, or getting to do volunteer work with leadership or being a part of a committee. Everybody wants to feel a part of something. You know, I think it's important to find those avenues. I think about a company like Salesforce, they've implemented volunteer time off where you get paid time off to participate in volunteer activities. Mm -hmm. They'll organize philanthropic events around that. These kinds of things, they're simple, but they're also not done everywhere. And so celebrating that and providing those avenues. That's both community impact and community building in a low stakes environment where people are there for a cause and for a good reason. And a survey by the Harris Poll for Express Employee Professionals found that 67% of respondents said the ability to be themselves at work significantly impacts their job satisfaction. That's from 2020. How do brands and marketers foster that kind of environment? Can employees really <laughs> let their hair down? And is mm. this more of a generational issue? It's a generational issue, but it's one that folks are hip to. I don't think it's as much of an issue, but it is incredibly important. And I think there's a lot of work to be done around it. 
If you think about just the concept of DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, those are all three different things with their own definition. Diversity is the presence of differences in a work environment, whether that's race, ethnicity, gender, identity, orientation, age, socioeconomic background, that's diversity. Equity is making sure that the processes and the programs are impartial and fair, making sure you have equal outcomes for every individual. And then inclusion is about making people feel a sense of belonging at work. So those are each individual things that make people feel comfortable to let their hair down, whatever that is, whatever that means for them. There are important signals and cues that are so important for brands and people in leadership to be aware of, signaling that the work environment is a safe place for folks from different backgrounds is important. Choosing your words carefully, signaling that diversity of viewpoint and opinion is welcomed and providing the environment for that. Even just gender neutral bathrooms, that's about signaling that this is a safe place to be who you are. These are things that might seem subtle or may seem minor, but they're actually beacons of what the company stands for. Stay with us. There's more to come. You're listening to the ANA Champions of Growth podcast. And now a word from our sponsor. Decideware software solutions are empowering the world's largest advertisers with data clarity and transforming the way we think about agency management. Decideware's agency management platform delivers revolutionary clarity into the state of agency relationships. With four modules available as standalone solutions or as part of an integrated suite, these remarkable software solutions organize, automate, and analyze up-to-date data within a single source of truth driving improved agency roster management, scope, production, and evaluation. Decideware's customized dashboards provide data visualizations highlighting key, actionable business intelligence insights that can be quickly and easily applied to strategic decisions about agency performance, spend, and relationships. The increased visibility, control, and insight delivered through Decideware's platform and experienced data advisors can improve agency relationships and performance ultimately generating greater mutual success. Visit Decideware.com to learn more about joining the Decideware community and follow Decideware on LinkedIn to stay connected to all of its thought leadership in the advertising industry. We're back with Josh Ingram, founder and principal of Most Wanted Company, a marketing consulting agency that works with clients such as Cintas and Make Music. Josh, to switch gears, I want to talk about the work your agency performed on behalf of Cintas, which is a, a workwear company. And that work included launching Design Collective to help leaders express their brand and inspire employees to feel proud by what they represent. Take us through the execution and what's involved for any company regarding making their employees feel good about where they work and hang their hat in the morning. Sure. We had the opportunity to work with Cintas over the last two years to launch Design Collective, which is their owned apparel division that designs workwear and employee uniform collections for companies like JB Hunt to Marriott to Virgin Voyages to St. Regis. So it's a wide range. What's remarkable about Design Collective is that they sort of have this superpower to make employees feel their best and feel like superheroes. And so we did a huge discovery process where we talked to employees at the mentioned brands and we talked to brand leaders at those brands. We talked to the sales teams and the field reps, uh, but also the folks who are sewing the garments that go on the uniform when you go to the Verizon store, for example. 
this critical insight was around the superpower that they had to make employees feel like superheroes through the threads that they put on their bodies every day. If you think about working any job, the clothes that you wear can make or break your workday. They influence how you feel. If it doesn't fit right, if I were doing this interview right now and I wasn't wearing my favorite lucky blazer, I might not feel like my best self to give this interview. And it's no different no matter what the job is you're doing, whether you're working in a mine and you've got to bend over to use your shovel and pick, or whether you're in a suit and tie at the St. Regis in Aspen, setting the scene and creating a high touch white glove experience for the folks that walk through the door. We position Design Collective as a perfect fit apparel partner for brands. This triple entendre, it's about a perfect fit for the employee or the wearer. It's about a perfect fit program that's tailored to the needs of every customer. And it's about a perfect fit relationship with people on the other side who are managing the client relationship on the day-to-day. What are some of the emerging strategies of engaging employees and getting buy-in for larger corporate goals, particularly for global brands, thousands of employees and different work cultures? So some of my favorite projects are when we get to work with a global marketing organization and bring dozens or more employees together. Often you can do that through offsites and work sessions, sometimes over one, maybe two days where you are breaking down that company's purpose. You are putting a North Star stake in the ground, and then you're asking employees by channel, by team, by region to talk together and come back and present what that means for them. Creating those forums, investing in a process around that can generate incredible insights that are actionable, that are inclusive of a diverse range of voices, that are in a neutral environment, that are matrixed across level of seniority and role, and gives everyone a chance to feel like they're contributing. A second strategy uh, or initiative, I would say, is identifying process metrics for the brand and not just outcome metrics. So what do I mean by that? An outcome metric is about tracking, for example, demographics. How diverse are we? Or how many people know for our brand? But a process match metrics is more about meaningful change, identifying a bias and measuring how we're doing against combating that. The speed at which folks of color are moving up in the organization or the speed at which someone gets trained and feels confident to do their job to the best of their ability. These are things that are really emotional and personal, and they're not just a measuring stick for the problem. They're a measuring stick for the process improvements that we're making to get towards that ultimate outcome. What are some of the ways that marketers cater to their Gen Zers, employees, and younger millennials bolstering communications and setting up expectations, whether it's finding a happy medium between working from home and working from the office and being clear on performance appraisals. And I also want to get your take on this uh, sort of conventional wisdom that's been out there for the last several years that younger employees, particularly millennials and now Gen Zers, need constant affirmation about their performance. Beyond Gen Z and millennials, it's always been recognized and proven if you look at Gallup or Harris. People want to know that they're on the road to success. They want to know what the progress is that they're making. And they want to know if they're making a mistake or if they're doing something that that they can improve. I don't think that that is generational. That's a universal human truth. People want to know how they're doing and they want to measure their progress. Getting into Gen Z and millennials, and I was talking with a lot of colleagues over the last couple of weeks thinking about this conversation Gen Z as a generation are very awake. Millennials, we've lived through a period where the expectations haven't met reality. For Gen Z, it's never been a reality. There's never been an expectation that things were going to be easy for them in the workforce. There's a disillusionment, a skepticism, 
And in awakeness or, or wokeness, obviously that's become like a debatable word. There's a skepticism that comes from that lived experience. There's this heavy expectation or skepticism around companies actually doing what they say. There's a belief from this generation that companies only care about you if you perform well. There's a higher barrier to loyalty. Gen Z wants to develop. They want to compete. They want to succeed. They just believe it's a lot harder for them than any other generation. It's even more important to let them know when they're succeeding and to provide real ways in person to develop, to give opportunities to move up the chain because everyone feels like the cards are stacked against them. When you frame it through those lenses and you think about it, I, I think that, yes, this generation is unapologetic about expecting their needs to be met, but that's also an opportunity for companies to cater to that and find the ways where incentives are really aligned for both parties. Are you an advocate for more mentoring as well as reverse mentoring? We think about lived experiences and acknowledging every lived experience. There's a lot to learn, especially right now. Think about boomers who are in their 60s and 70s. They're still working and they've got a lot of experience and they're extremely important to the workforce. Gen Z coming into the workforce, they've got a lot to learn, but they also know a lot about things that folks towards the tail end of their career don't know either. When you think about mentoring and reverse mentoring together, that's like the best of all worlds. Now you've got one plus one equals three kind of thing happening with intergenerational collaboration and relationships. That's a beautiful thing. It's an extremely financially valuable thing. And it's also a great investment when you think about succession planning over the next 10 to 15 years for companies that need to groom that next generation. There's a short-term return on that. And it's that the folks with 30 years of experience get even better at doing their jobs at the same time they're passing down the knowledge to the next generation, which is what's required for any company on a public market or that's going to go public in the next five to 10 years. As we start to wrap up, Josh, brand ambassadors, the term seemed to be in vogue a few years ago, but not so much anymore. Has the dynamic changed in the current environment? What are the benefits of marketers to cultivate brand ambassadors? Back in the day, it was evangelists. I, I just use that word. It was evangelists in tech, um, someone who's a loyal adopter, power user, beta tester of, a, of technology. Then it became influencers in the nascent sense of the word, the little sense of the word, a thought leader who influences others' choices. And those were the folks that brands were going after. Then it became brand ambassadors, where now it was sort of assumed that these folks may be paid promoters or successful employees that are loyal. And now we're at this interesting point where people are now creators. They are proficient at TikTok or Instagram or another social platform, Patreon, and people have side hustles and they're gaining reach and it's a non-traditional career path, but they've got to diversify their personal income stream. So a lot of folks who are successful creators, they've also got a full-time job or they start with the full-time job and they do a side hustle to create content. So there's this blend happening where people have side gigs, they've got their stable income stream in their traditional career, they're blending the two together. And that's a new kind of evangelist. That's a new opportunity for companies to engage and identify folks who are creators at their companies and, and it's happening. So you look at somebody like corporate Natalie or, or uh, Ross Pomerantz, I think he goes by corporate bro. There's another consultant in DC. I think he's at a white shoe consulting firm named Anthony Polcari, who documents his life as a 24 year old consultant in DC. And these folks are gaining reach. So they're media assets that are sitting on the inside of companies that you may not know about if you're a brand, but that you absolutely should identify. I think corporate Natalie was creating comedy content about her job and the corporate grind. 
And I think she made over 500K one year, but she kept her job because she liked it and they embraced her side gig. You think about employee engagement, this is like the ultimate employee engagement is to identify employees who are also creators who have a side hustle, encouraging that, letting them do that and creating a win-win for the brand and the person who's working for the brand. So I, I think we're in a really interesting space and time for that. So big erroneous on CMOs and marketers to find that kind of talent in-house to encourage it and to possibly harness that kind of talent for the betterment of the company. I guarantee you for most global or national brands, there's probably at least one or two folks that are working through the hood that you don't know that have that side hustles and are already successful. And we'll have to leave it there. Josh Ingram, founder and principal of The Most Wanted Company. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Matt. It was a pleasure. To learn more about The Most Wanted Company, go to mostwanted.co. Be sure to tune in next time when I welcome Mike Rosen, Chief Revenue Officer at National Sin Media, who will discuss trends in in-theater advertising and how the dual SAG and Writers Guild strikes are affecting the market. If you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net. And be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.